Hello, everyone. It is great to be here one more time. My name is Gary Fowler. I am the CEO, President, and Co-Founder of GSD Venture Studios at Premier AI and Quantum Venture Studio, located in beautiful Santa Clara, California. We go through the world looking for incredible companies, incredible personalities, companies that are able to go global, companies that can truly become unicorns. So thank you for joining. And today we're going to be talking about Bangladesh, Bangladeshi Angels. And I am really privileged to have Najor Rahman on my show today. He is a serial social entrepreneur and entrepreneur in frontier markets in Asia and Africa, building on skills and experience in business development, management consulting, venture capital, international development, uh, et cetera, looking for early stage companies that can go global in frontier markets. So it's with great pleasure that I bring him on. Jor, how are you today? Hey, Gary, how's it going? Ah, great. Good to see you again. Absolutely. Likewise. So where are you today? I'm currently in Dallas, Texas. Oh, well, how's everything in Dallas these days? It's good. You know, us Texans have our own way of, I think, dealing with the pandemic, but uh, it seems like things are going back to normal, uh, just like in the rest of the country. So hopefully everyone's uh, safe, staying safe and sound. Well, great to have you on the show today. So tell me a little bit about, so how in the world, so, you, so you're from uh, Frisco, Texas, correct? That's right. How did you go to Georgetown? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, kind of, I guess it was sort of a roundabout way. Um, you know, I was born in Bangladesh, but we left when I was quite young uh, as part of the, I guess, the, the global Bangladeshi diaspora. And we settled first um, in the DC area. So my father worked for University of Maryland, but I sort of ended up, you know, this was the height of when Georgetown was quite good in basketball, like in the you know, early 2000s. Um, and so I, you know, kept in touch with them. And then uh, when I was growing up in Texas, uh, you know, it's a great place to be, but it's also a very insular place. I always dreamt about traveling the world and working in developing countries, kind of staying back to my roots. And so when it came time to two schools, you know, Georgetown School of Foreign Service, plus the basketball, I think helped kind Wait of seal the deal. What's going on with the basketball thing? I'm getting some kind of theme that there's either like <laughs> basketball, you're a basketball player, or what, what happened? What made you decide? Why is basketball focused? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, I, you know, I always found that to be a very accessible sport. You know, it's mm -hmm. still something, you know, you know, that my family and I play. Uh, it's part of, I guess, the Americana that we sort of picked up. And so, yeah, big, big basketball fan, you know, Dallas Mavericks, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, they're doing well, they're in the playoffs. So quite excited about that as well. No, that's great. Interesting. And so when you went into the, you studied uh, regional and comparative studies, what made you go back? I, you know, I know you got a really rich background, um, you know, working for consulting companies, doing internships at Georgetown. What made you decide to go back, you know, focus back on Bangladesh? Yeah, I mean, in, I, I have to admit in the beginning, there wasn't any kind of plan. Right. All I knew was I wanted to work in emerging markets and take, you know, build businesses and, and build social enterprises. Uh, and then, you know, only natural that people told uh, told me, hey, you know, if, if you're interested in social entrepreneurship and you're from Bangladesh, why don't you go back to Bangladesh? And so that was always at the back of my mind. Um, and then a, a key catalyst was I, I was in 2013. Um, I was living in Mongolia, um, and I don't know if I, I don't know if you've been to Ulaanbaatar uh, through your travels, but it's 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 a really cold place. So you end up spending a lot of time indoors and just reevaluating how did you end up there, 
and what do you want to do with your life and hopefully try to get someplace warmer. So that was one. And and second is, you know, there was a place warmer. We hang out in a year having some yak milk. I've done that. I've done that for I, sure. I, that. I had for sure. when I when I studied uh, Russian in Russia, she had this idea. She went to Mongolia and she said I stayed in a yurt and was drinking yak milk. And I said how often she said all the time all the time <laughs> right right so how many different ways can you drink yak milk you know not, not many not many but uh so you know you definitely think about it i mean although mongolia was a great place um you know it was a really interesting time to be there because it was growing really rapidly um, a mining led economy but you know around 2012 2013 there were several things that happened in bangladesh right so there were some industrial accidents that were quite um brutal and quite tragic and also historic when you think about you know 100 years before this Similar accidents happened in the US. There was a lot of political turmoil as well. And so I just became very curious about the country. And in a weird way, I think it was sort of like a, you know, you're come coming to, you know, Jesus moment where I just kind of fell in love with it. I was like, wow, you know, this is a country that when it started, it really no one really gave it much of a much of a hope to be anything, right? Uh, you know, imagine starting a country with two different cyclones, a famine, uh, and a, a genocide, right? You know, being the poorest country in the world uh, to where it is today. And I felt like, well, you know, if if I'm an American or American Bangladeshi, and I've had that opportunity to kind of bridge both worlds, so why don't I try to go back? And so I was trying to look to look. I was looking to go back, and then you know, there's a good friend of mine from Texas, uh, Tyler. Uh, you know, he um, he and I were talking a lot and. He said, look, you know, I just joined uh, the this organization that's being funded by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they have given me half a million dollars blank check to build, develop a social business in urban sanitation. And I need someone on the ground in Bangladesh. I need someone like you. I need a coconut. And I said, well, Tyler, what do you mean? Like, do you, does that mean I'm brown and, you know, hairy on the outside and white on the inside? Did he say like, coconut? Yeah, he said, yeah, I need, I need my coconut. I need you to be my coconut. <laughs> and I said, oh, well, okay. So th is, that, is that what you're talking about? He's like, yeah, that's exactly right. And I said, well, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, uh, you could go to hell, but second of all, thank you for the job opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I ended up coming back to Bangladesh uh, specifically with that remit, you know, can you build something in urban sanitation because less than 1% of the country has access to any sewers. And so that's how I got started in Bangladesh, also in social entrepreneurship. Well, 1% of the country has sewers, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's, and it's all colonial era sewerage. And as you can imagine with any, you know, well, one, it's a low lying country. Second, it's cities are quite unplanned, right? So it's quite hard to go back and, and build sewer networks. And so, and, and as you know, you know, Bill Gates, obviously he's been for, for other reasons, but, He's very passionate about um, sanitation, and so we were looking to, you know, we're being funded by the foundation to figure out you know, what sort of technologies we can introduce to kind of deal with fecal sludge. No, I got it. Interesting, and and um, so you did that, you know, and what happened? So you you did that a half a million dollar project, and <laughs> got had your friend, and uh, uh, <laughs> well, it sounds like you know one side of getting insulted, another side picking up an opportunity. You know, I mean. Uh, <laughs> I have friends like that too, by the way. <laughs> Good. So you know exactly what I'm talking Hopefully about. My best friends, because the other ones wouldn't get away with it. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you did that, and then you know, I'm, I was reading down through and fascinated about this. You did teach for China. Where did that come into this thing? How did you get? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I was involved with that organization uh, when mm -hmm. I was in 
in college, right? So I was kind of a, a campus ambassador for them and we built the team to kind of help recruit. And yeah, I mean, because this I was interested in Asia, right? And you know, I had even kind of thought about maybe going to China, right? Um, I, I I guess I tried to go to China and ended up skipping skipping over and ended up being in Ulaanbaatar. So you know, not not the exact neighborhood, but kind of close. So how was that, Najar? You know, looking yeah. at now, how was that experience? What did you? What could you say? The main besides the yak milk and yurts, what what are the major differences they have found? And what are the you know, if you look at the good things about what's happening? there uh what are they and what could be improved yeah you know i think uh i've always found this to be very interesting about kind of mongolians and you know contrasting that to you know bangladeshis right because i went from one country to another i think um you know mongolians i think tend to be outwardly kind of closed but then once they get to know you they love you right uh you know on the other side is bangladeshis are the most hospitable people on the planet so they're just outwardly very friendly especially if you happen to be a foreigner you know they love telling you about their country, et cetera. So I, I had a great time in Mongolia. I, I learned a lot. Um, you know, it was literally the first thing I ever really did out of college, um, you know, working for this family office, trying to build uh, ventures um, in different kind of industries and, and being in 23. Mongolia. In, in Mongolia. Mongolia, exactly. Like, and, you know, uh, being you 23. Were over there, how long were you, so you were there like, uh, what, a year? Something like well, that. I, a little over, about a year and a half. Yeah, I was there year, for a year and seven and months. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. so, did you spend the winter there? You spent the winter. There, I did. Right? Oh, I spent two winters there. That's like the mistake. Oh, <laughs> you want to turn that around, right? Like, because it's like minus thirty for half the year, really. Um, and we're not. I, I have to say this. I, I think you're more built for it than I am, right? Because you know, us South Asians, you know, we're, our, our bodies are just not built for that kind of weather. You know, I would walk in every day with like a headache because you're walking in the cold, and then my Mongolian colleagues would ha would have a light jacket on, and and I would actually have to thaw my ears off like every morning. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, in Russia, the same deal it was minus 38 degrees in yeah. Vladivostok with the windshield. And I remember yeah. walking one block and I had made a really big mistake of taking sneakers with mm. me that of uh, I have no idea why I did it, but I put them on by mistake. It felt like even with an Arctic park on, like it was like I was uh, without any clothes because the wind was so um tough and stiff that it actually felt like it was blowing through my body. I I'll never forget it. And my eyes froze. The eyes like the tears would freeze. So I had to take a, a uh, scarf and here you've probably done the same thing. And I put on my sunglasses. I now I understood why they wear goggles and they had like face masks on up in uh, Antarctica because it's freaking cold. You can't breathe the air. It's that cold. Oh man. Oh man. Uh but uh yeah no but it was uh a wild time because you know they were literally just you know the fastest growing in the country in 2012 right so huge mining economy mining boom you know left and right and i i i cannot recommend that enough like you know uh, for young people if if you have that opportunity early in your career I'm, I'm so glad i did it you know going into such a wild and and out of the way place it's hard to do that to these days right um you know even now like i'm in my early 30s but if you can do that in your early 20s go for it and have an adventure and, and see what you can do so yeah, well, you know, but life, I got to tell you, your life as you go forward, the people that really uh, stay young and feel young are the people that continue to have these adventures mm -hmm. in their lives. Because, you know, a lot of times what happens is you get older, you don't want to, you lose your curiosity mm -hmm. and your fun factor. And so the key is when you do those kind of uh, experiences, and I've been there uh, 
not too long ago, actually, uh, having another one of those. You just learn so much. It's so it's a beautiful experience. It's, it's amazing. It's like uh, the last day of a winter coming into the spring. It's just an, an incredible time. Okay, mm -hmm. so you went, you did that, got that for about a year and a half. Uh, then you went over and you were doing some advising. You worked with uh, Dream Mobile, right, uh, as an advisor, Almandine Al uh, Capital and project management. Then you were focused on Austria and Mongolia. How in the world can you have Austria and Mongolia? I mean, if you can think about somebody's like diametrically opposed, yeah. you know, what does somebody say, hey, listen, Niger, let's take a dart. Let's throw, oh, you got Austria today and you've got Mongolia. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, so it was, it was, so actually that was the organization I was working for in, uh, in Mongolia. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was, I got it. you know, yeah, exactly. And, and the, one of the partners was Austrian. And so, yeah, it was definitely an interesting uh, mix of cultures, I would say. So, you know, you had Mongolians speak speak German in the office. And I sort of understood German because I took it in high school and college. And so you can imagine all the different languages floating around. Yeah. That must have been really interesting. Okay. So let's go forward. So we, as we go forward in your career, you know, you did uh, this project, very interesting water and sanitation project. You talked about the sewers and um, uh, you got a, what, $4 million uh, Gates led, Gates Foundation led uh project to introduce a, a pilot and commercialize did it work we there were many things that didn't work at one point i think i was down to my last 100 bucks in my bank account because i couldn't bring money in and i was spending out of everything out of pocket and all that uh, but then it, one thing we ended up doing uh, did work uh, we introduced a public private partnership to introduce these trucks that are quite common in india and china these vacuum tanker trucks that suck up waste from septic tanks and then taking that to safe sites to be treated into usable byproducts like fertilizer so that model is called sweep uh, it's now in five cities uh, and you know it's it's still chugging along and so we're quite proud of that uh, for sure but it, it was a lot of work to get there I, I must say like I, I I had no idea about the country the people even the language I barely spoke the language right so in many ways I was a foreigner in my own country I mean, how was that you yeah exactly back. how was that going back how did people treat you when you come back here yeah. and yeah. they, you know Najor, they're probably saying, oh, we know this name. They start speaking Bangladesh. What did you say? What did you? It, you know, like, it was fascinating because I think a lot of people thought I was, because of my heavy accent, right? I, I would speak Bangla with a very Americanized accent. So I would, uh, you know, people thought I was Sri Lankan, right? Because there's a lot of Sri Lankan investors in Bangladesh. Um, and then the, I actually used that to my advantage. You know, I would kind of pretend I'm a big investor coming into a city corporation, talk my way into the mayor's office. I remember one time, you know, I was sitting across from one of the, the mayor of the second biggest city in the country and he just kind of looked at me like what do you want from me and i said sir you know i i it, the way i said it was it said sir in bangla in english transliterated it means sir i'm going to do a poop business in your city and i just kind of looked at him and then they all thought i was having some kind of a seizure right um, but then they like <laughs> this guy just said he's gonna do a poop in this in in our city like what's going on well is that because uh, you didn't understand bangladesh right. yeah. yeah, i had no idea how to say it yeah exactly and so i yeah you know and uh <laughs> those are the memories you know i was working like, <laughs> how did you get out of that one when they start speaking english with you what happened they're like okay this guy you know just sit him down he's clearly having a heat stroke you know get him some water and and you know son just you know slow down tell us in english what do you want we can speak english don't worry um, and so <laughs> so it ended up kind of being that way and they ended up kind of i guess feeling sorry for me because most people don't do it right like this uh, young man 
coming, you know, having grown up abroad for most of his life to come back to the country. They all thought I was crazy, to be very frank. And, and they thought I was nuts. And maybe just they, they felt like, you know, maybe we could just throw him a bone because, you know, he, he needs it. So. <laughs> what did they throw you? So you got the. They, yeah. they got, you, you told them about the poop stuff. They probably had a laugh after that, though. They had a laugh at some point. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for here? sure. For sure. But they were so generous. Yeah, like even, you know, that city corporation that, you know, in question, like they ended up giving us land, like just a bunch of kids, really. Like I was in my 20s. My team members were in our 20s, like giving us land to build a treatment site, right? Like land's very expensive in Bangladesh because there's not a lot of it, right? Uh, especially municipal land. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously haggling over that. And so, and, and that model ended up being replicated in other cities and, and things like that. So I, I, you know, I'm quite grateful. It, it doesn't happen, right? Most people have this, um, you know, viewpoint that, you know, an emerging market or frontier market like Bangladesh, you have to be very connected. You know, I, I certainly wasn't. I, I just told my story and I guess people listened. So I'm quite grateful. Well, I mean, you came back, right? The thing yeah. is they respect you because you came back to the country. Okay. So you did that. And um, what kind of impact did the project have on the uh, sewage system in yeah. Bangladesh? So, I mean, it's still early days, and that's one of the reasons I really left the water and sanitation sector because, you know, unlike startups, you know, in startups, you know, innovation happens every day, right? Um, in the water and sanitation sector, innovations happen once a decade. Um, but, you know, the, the motto is the, the way forward, right? Because there's a lot of investment in, you know, sewage infrastructure uh, and sewage treatment plants, but they need a way for the sewage to kind of get there. Right, mm -hmm. being collected from these septic tanks and 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 these residences and commercial buildings, and so this kind of mechanized way and 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 through a privatized approach is the has so far been the um I guess the de facto way that a lot of municipalities have been adopting this. So I'm quite proud of that. You know, obviously I wasn't alone. You know, I had an incredible team both in Bangladesh but also in the UK where the HQ of the office uh, the organization was. But um, you know, it's certainly proven to be the model that's now scaling uh, across Bangladesh. Interesting. So. Um you know, when you were going down through it, what do they have? Like, how do they, I'm interested in the, uh, are they using uh, septic systems or outhouses or what do they yeah. use now? So, you know, if you're a low income resident, then you're probably going to have an outhouse. Um, you're probably going to use a twin pit latrine. Right. And, and then typically what happens is either it floods and then you have to call somebody or find these guys who would clean it up manually. Right. Uh, and take it up to the nearest water body and they'll just dump it and they'll just kind of charge it. Right. Really? Like, in the water? In the water. Yeah. In the water. And so they, and those gentlemen have a very hard life too. And, and most of their, you know, they're called sweepers and a lot of them, you know, their younger generation don't want to do that anymore. Right. So they're trying to leave the, that, you know, that work altogether. Uh, on the other side, you know, if you have a, let's say a, a tall, you know, apartment building or a factory, you would have a septic tank, but then you would connect that septic tank directly to the drains. So once again, when it gets full, all the shit is literally going into the drains. Oh God, that's it, unbelievable. Must, does it stink? It, it does, right? So it, it, you know, being along the street and you, you start smelling sewage and like, oh, of course, it's raw sewage literally seeping out in the street. Uh, and, and Bangladesh, you know, it rains a lot, you know, obviously in the, in the monsoons and stuff. So definitely like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's the that's the scenario at the, at the moment for a lot of parts of the country. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's incredible. What a great initiative going over and, you know, not everybody would do that. That's super. So, okay, so fast forward, you did uh, YGAP. You know, you did the sharper impact capital. Uh, so what about YGAP? So tell us a little bit about YGAP. Yeah, so YGAP's a very interesting organization as well. So it's um, a lot of, um, 
you know, philanthropic minded kind of millennials um, in Australia who came together um, to raise money um, and, and from friends and family in the beginning and then you know, through national campaigns and then to then funnel that towards entrepreneurs in developing countries like Bangladesh and Kenya and South Africa, uh, you know, trying to, I guess, um, support local leaders, creating local change. That's kind of their motto. So I was very privileged to be the country director. You know, I followed in the footsteps of a, of a good friend of mine who started as the first one. Um, yeah, and I, I took I took it on as sort of a way to take some of my lessons, right, after I did the social entrepreneurship thing in water and sanitation and, and work with other grassroots entrepreneurs. And I think, you know, I, I got two things out of it. So one was um, I got to meet so many entrepreneurs from around the country, and I just got to see that there's a lot of entrepreneurial talent in Bangladesh. So that was one epiphany. Uh, second was that, you know, I, I saw that, you know, you know, acceleration is good, you know, training programs are good, but they have to also be combined with investment, right? Otherwise, yeah. these entrepreneurs won't be able to really get off the ground. And so that- yeah, you know, and it just stops. I mean, that's the problem, right? It's exactly. The education, there's nowhere to go and you go back to where you were. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and you know, I was quite lucky, actually, the, my, uh, one of the founders of that organization, when I told him about this issue, he just basically said, oh, you're talking about angel investing. Um, oh, and is, is there not one in Bangladesh? You should probably create it. So he was the first one who gave me that idea, that kernel of idea for mm -hmm. an angel network and the first angel network in Bangladesh. So I'm quite grateful about that experience with YGAP. That's great. And so, so now let's, you know, the present day with Bangladesh angels, how many people do you have within the, I know you're the first uh, angel network. How many people do you have in there? What kind of uh, ticket sizes, you know, what kind of, um, are you investing in tech or, What's it all about? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, we are the first organized angel investment network in the country. Uh, we've been operating for a little over two years. Uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm the CEO and I have a really incredible board of, you know, leading investors in the country kind of supporting me um, in that process. We've got about 200 members now around the, the world. Country from Bangladesh? Or from, 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 from Bangladesh and also oh. the region as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, of the membership, I would say about 40% are overseas. So they're in markets like the U.S., U.K., uh, even you know, sprinkle in places like Japan or Singapore, or Australia, because there is a very significant kind of diaspora within Bangladesh, right? And and I'm part of that, and obviously a lot of our members are part of that. Uh, we've done 16 or sorry, 15 investments so far. We've helped facilitate around 1.6 million dollars, and so that's roughly about 100k checks. So yeah. for us, you know, that's you know, I would define that to be pre-seed in the context of Bangladesh. Um, so typically, the typical profile of a company, although certainly expect exceptions, but you know, one or two years of operations, some kind of a digital technology kind of underpinning their product or service, uh, being in the market, you know, generating user traction and potentially revenues as well, but certainly nowhere near product market fit and certainly a lot of things to do work on, including things like governance and cleaning up their, you know, strategy and, and things like that. So that's, you know, we want to be the first professional check into a company after friends and family. Uh, so that's kind of our, our motto or our desire. Your How big is it right now? Yeah. Oh, no. So we, we don't run a fund itself. Right. So we are a, a network based approach to investment. So, yeah, so far, our aggregate investment has been about one point six million. OK, so the smart capital you talk about, the smart capital is not yours. You're basically connecting the dots with that's investors right. and that's the individuals. Right. OK. That's right, yeah. So what's a typical check size and what are they investing in? Yeah. So yeah, hundred K that's kind of the average check size so far has been, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of where we've invested, you know, it's been kind of logistics, it's been e-commerce, including niche e-commerce plays. It's been kind of healthcare, health tech, you know, food, food tech. Um, you know, we've done our first FinTech investment as well recently. Um, so kind of runs the gamut along those lines, but certainly, um, 
we'd love to do more. Well, you know, I think we're um, we're close to kind of doing our first deep tech uh, as well. But you know, I'll tell you more about that in the in the future once it's public. So. No, nah, that's great. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job. How many members do you have? Uh, two hundred. Mm -hmm. Are they only from Bangladesh? No, you know, we've actually got you know Japanese nationals. We've got Indian nationals, right? We've got even a Brazilian national in there. Um, yeah. So, so we yeah, we do have foreigners as well. You know, who are just you know interested to angel invest and they want to be part of something like this. So. How do they reach out if somebody wants to join? How do they do that? Yeah, it's quite easy. You know, um, most uh, most of our members kind of come through our online form. So you can just go to bdangels.co um, and, you know, just, you know, leave your details under the, the sign up form and, you know, we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Uh, yeah. And, and that's also been interesting. I think, you know, a year and a half ago, we were very much a physical network meeting face to face over dinners in Dhaka, like an angel club would. Uh, because of what happened with the pandemic, you know, my family lives here in Texas, so I've been with them. Uh, you know, we sort of switched to this online model, like similar to you. That's how we found each other, right? And so uh, that's been great because you know we we now are able to reach a global audience through digital means as opposed to just physical. So that's been really great. No, I agree. The reach has been amazing. I mean. There've been a lot of negative pieces towards uh, incredibly negative pieces about the pandemic, but the one shining uh, star, sh shining star out there has been the ability to connect to people all over the world to be able to, you know, jointly invest, jointly make uh, opportunities together, jointly create companies. So I just, I mean, it's amazing actually. The you know, the McKinsey said the digital transformation was going to happen over the next ten years. Yeah. But it's really in order for companies to survive and, and uh, to grow, they've had to do it now. So the yeah. digital transformation started. So you're right on target about that. What about do you have events? How do they what can somebody that's in the Bangladeshi Angels Group paint a picture? What does it look like and what do they get out of it? Sure, sure. Absolutely. So, you know, so, I mean, yeah, we typically have kind of weekly events, right? Um, you know, on a, on a Thursday, we'll maybe showcase a new company. And so that, you know, we'll send out a deal brief ahead of time via email. You know, people will dial in from all over the world and we'll grill the entrepreneur. And then from there, we'll circulate those notes and, and figure out, you know, create like a working group, right? Who would kind of work with me and my team to look into these companies and, and you know, conduct the due diligence and then figure out one if you're going to invest and how much and under what terms right that's that's one element the other thing we like to and i know we had you on before and we, we loved having you on people still talk about it uh, on weekends you know we like doing sessions online with you know experienced tech executives entrepreneurs um, investors from around the world um, who are typically coming from markets that are a little bit different to us a little bit more mature than us uh, because you know we want to learn right about best practice from around the world when it comes to venture investing when it comes to technology investing and and creating startups and so we do that as well uh and then yeah you know and being a member uh, you know allows you you know gives you access to these events gives you access to the recordings gives you access to the deal flow and then you know hopefully you can get started with you know investing as part of our syndicates so and then what does it cost how do they join is it yeah. Is they, do they join? yeah so it's uh you know it's uh, 300 bucks a year it's a it's a nominal fee just to kind of you know keep us going and keep our operating expenses and such. And so that's that's one element. And then our other business model is, uh, you know, when companies are successfully able to fundraise through us, we know we take a test fee, really 3% for equity on that side as well. So that's how we've been kind of running it. And we've, we've seen that work with our sister networks in places like India and Sri Lanka. And so we're applying that in the context of Bangladesh. Wow, that's great. Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Closing thoughts, uh, What what what's it look like in Bangladesh over the next year? Um, how can people reach you? Uh, sure. What's the best way to get a hold of you? LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, so yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, no, please follow us over LinkedIn. You know, we're quite active there. We do have a Substack as well. Uh, you know, you could get a link through that. Um, and, you know, we, we post quite regularly and we do regular newsletters. Yeah, I think, you know, Bangladesh is just such a fascinating story. It, it really has come out of nowhere. You know, some of the stats I could give you is that it's the ninth largest mobile market in the entire world, right? It's quite active. The median age of the population is only 27, right? It's been one of the most successful countries in the world for mobile, you know, mobile payments penetration. One in two people have it, but transacting hundreds of millions a day. You know, it's been one of the most successful countries in the world for online freelancing, right? Um, you know, you've got thousands of companies doing software development and now a startup sector has emerged. You know, it's been $300 million plus invested in the sector in the last seven or eight years, and the velocity is only increasing. Um, and I think we, we do have a, you know, a great you know, um, opportunity being sandwiched between India, China, and Indonesia, and in Southeast Asia, uh, given our population size, given our growing consumer uh, market, uh, the fact that we've certainly, you know, we're now about to become lower middle income. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities, and certainly if you guys want to get involved, you know, please get in touch with us, and, and let's let's get talking. How do they get a hold of you? What's the best way? Uh, it's, uh, you know, the best is probably Nirajor, my first name, dot Rahman, R-A-H-M-A-N, at bdangels.co. Uh, I'm also on Twitter uh, under my name, Nirajor Rahman, so you could also get, on, get a hold of me there as well. No, that's great. I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And you're doing a great job in terms of you're bringing the opportunities. You know, as we say, intellectual capacity is evenly spread around the world, but opportunities aren't. It's really great that you're out there in the forefront of this thing. And I know it's not easy. been there myself in, in some of these countries that, uh, that really you're breaking ground, but it's incredible. So keep up the good work. You know, uh, stay happy, stay healthy. And to my audience, thank you once again for tuning in to GSD Presents, Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Najor is amazing, making the world a better place. Each one of you out there can do the same kind of thing. You just got to believe in your dreams. You got to focus and you just got to do it. And as we say at GSD, get shit done. It's about the results. So go get them. Go do it. My name is Gary Fowler. I'm your host. Stay tuned. Next week, I'll be back again on Tuesday for another edition of GST Presents, Silicon Valley AI and Tech. Thanks, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy. Talk to you soon. Thank you.